0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host
1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Tamala Blaylock with the National Cooperative Business Association. Welcome.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you so much for welcoming me.
1: I am so excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about NCBA, how you serving folks?
0: Okay, so NCBA, we are the National Cooperative Business Association. We are the apex trade association for all cooperatives. Cooperatives are organizations that are owned and governed um, for their users, um, which are their members. And a good examples that everybody is aware of cooperatives and that every credit union is a cooperative. So that's an example of cooperatives. There are a lot of famous ones that people don't realize are cooperatives like the Associated Press, Land of Lakes, REI, Organic Valley, Blue Diamond, et cetera. So there are a lot of wonderful cooperatives out there. Um, most of the ones that people encounter would probably be grocery cooperatives.
1: Now, what is the thinking behind an organization uh, structuring themselves as a cooperative as opposed to a more traditional, you know, whatever the normal corporate structure would be, an LLC or a subchapter S or C? It's
0: a great question. I'd say what's happened in business education is that cooperatives are just no longer taught you know, or shared in that. Uh, what makes cooperatives unique is that nearly every cooperative that existed didn't start as like a way to become wealthy or become rich or, you know, secure the bag. Cooperatives were created to solve a need, you know, to fix a problem in the community. Uh, you know, having financial resources that can fund um, new ventures or even small ventures are why a lot of credit unions were created. If you live in a rural or exurban area, your utilities are usually serviced by a rural electric cooperative. You may not even think of it that way. For example, mutual, if it's a mutual insurance company, then it is also a cooperative, you know, and it was there for disaster recovery and support for entities that did not have access to that. A lot of cooperatives are, you know, at least 50 plus in some cases over a hundred years old. Um, My organization is like 106 years old. So that's why co are created. The real question is like, why are they not as superfluous as they should be when you consider particularly their value ties to millennials and Gen Z? And that's because it's no longer taught. It's not um, promulgated as a solution to leverage the economy to create inclusive economies that are owned by the members.
1: Now, for something that's been around for so long, like you said, it's not being taught, but there's some organizations like B Corps have kind of bubbled up recently that have this kind of mission associated with it. Is that something that is, I don't want to say in competition, but has kind of taken some of the attention away from cooperatives? Is this new type of way to do well by doing good uh, by being a B Corp?
0: Well, oh, a B Corp, B Corp um, benefits from having an excellent marketing branding co- campaign. Uh, you know, like for, and um, but with cooperatives, that's something that has been a concern and a challenge. And I look at it as an opportunity for, you know, how better to tell the message. And what can happen with organizations, particularly that are so values based, um, like cooperatives, is that there's a desire to fully evangelize and get like a full heart commitment into the organization, rather into the um, cooperative community. You know, um, rather than focusing on conversion, you know, and awareness, right, um, in that space. So, I'd say a focus that we have, um, you know, for the next five years is to look more at at making it very accessible for people to come to enter and to cooperative communities, either as a entrepreneur or entrepreneur or, um, uh, you know, in membership or also to be able to sh- shop cooperatives, um, uh, more intentionally. Um, and it, whether it's casual, like the same way that I started going go to Trader Joe's cause I heard about it. Um, and not necessarily because I knew exactly what all entailed <laughs> with a Trader Joe, same thing can happen with cooperatives. Like you might start going to a grocery, um, cooperative that is near you, you know, for a host of reasons. And then that learn that the dollar recycles 10 to 15 times within a community. When you do it within a cooperative, than if you were to, for example, go to a Trader Joe's, you know, where it might recycle at most five times within a community.
1: Now uh, in your work uh, with the NCBA, are you, um, how, how do you go about serving the membership? Is it more to give them tools to become just more efficient and, and better uh, at at being a cooperative? Or is it to spend some investment into uh, educating the outside world about th- why this might be something for them to consider?
0: That's a great question. You know, we are a 501c6 trade association. We're Apex Trade Association. So um, just like the National Restaurant Association and National Association of Manufacturing, our mission is the same. It's to develop a band to protect the cooperative enterprise. Um, our vision statement is to build a better world and a more inclusive economy that empowers people to contribute to shared prosperity and well-being for themselves and future generations. Um, like most of the trade associations um, in our country, a lot of it was started around um, government re- government um, relations and advocacy. You know, it's you know having a, a regulatory and legislative system that protects, defends, and advances cooperative so that you know gr and advocacy is our primary focus within that you know for membership support a key opportunity when you are apex um, association is um, cross-collaboration with um, partners and not co- um, competitors uh, there are seven cooperative principle the sixth cooperative principle is cooperation among cooperatives.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> russian, <laughs> russian russian up, nesting yeah, dolls <laughs>
0: And um, that, I would say, is a chief focus there because cooperatives, of course, want to work most with each other. But the number one um, opportunity to do so is to know where the other cooperatives are um, in your state or in your region, or um, that is in the um, vertical that is related to what they're doing. And that is, a chi- I would say, a chief area of focus and interest for our current members and new members you know, is to meet each other and also find um, activations um, that they can work with each other to um, further, you know, create inclusive economies and to solve further needs um, in their communities by working with each other.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry to get in the weeds with this. It's just I'm fascinated by it. I've run across, obviously, as I interview lots and lots of business people, I've run across some people who are part of cooperatives, but it's such the minority and each time I'm talking with that person, it's very interesting. And, and I always wonder, like, how is this just not more of this out there when it's such a, it seems very congruent with the uh, values of today?
0: Well, we've uh, done research in like an ABCs or cooperatives and about one out of 12 um, Americans is probably more so now you know, are involved with the cooperative, they just may not realize it. You know, for example, um, I've only um, banked with credit unions my entire life. A lot of that to do with the fact that um, my family is multi-generational military. But there are, if you are involved, um, if you're a member for credit union, if you've gotten a home or a car loan from credit union, you know, you're engaged in cooperative. If you're with nationwide insurance, you know, like you are part of a cooperative. Um, If you have um organic valley um you know in your fridge um, if you've ever been to the piggly wiggly like you've been engaged but the cooperatives may not be aware of it. if you read the associated press you know or follow them on social media you know you like you're connecting and engaged with a cooperative it just may not be in your face
1: right but you're not as a i, I mean let me reframe my um situation is that i talk to business people uh, that have started business entrepreneurs, all kinds of business people every day. That's what I do. And um, I don't hear a lot of talk of, hey, I'm structuring my business as a cooperative. That's not um, on their radar, even though they might have a business that would be appropriate uh, and might thrive and might benefit from structuring in that manner.
0: Oh, yeah, I see that. I would, that is a focus. Um that we are having there um, and that's really through um, co-op conversions. Um, And that's like transitioning a business into a cooperative. Um, An example is um, like Ace Hardware, um, which is a cooperative. So the individual um, stores may be owned by a few people or a family. Um, And with the retirement, you know, it can convert into like a major big chain or the workers um, can purchase it through a conversion and start a workers cooperative. Uh, There also are different types of cooperatives that would include um, the vision that current entrepreneurs have now. A great example of that um, are purchasing cooperatives. So Ace Hardware, I said, is a cooperative, but it's also a purchasing cooperative. Um, And actually Young Foods that does um, like KFC and Taco Bell they do their purchasing for um, through a purchasing cooperative. And that's where independent businesses, they don't have to be cooperatives. Usually they are not um, create a cooperative to um, purchase um, shared goods and often are able within that to create other services um, for their members, like from healthcare to admin training. Um, You know, it, it expands, no, depending on the industry. Um, And they're all over, you know, there's, one for um, HVC, there are those for boats, you know, for uh, um, veterinary clinics. Um, so I, my personal belief and bias is that probably purchasing cooperatives, um, which used to be one of the more um, covert cooperatives might be the most accessible type of um, cooperative to create uh, for the current entrepreneurial spirit that exists right now.
1: So let's talk a little bit about uh, your backstory. How'd you get involved in association work? Uh,
0: like so many of us, um, it's never, it's, um, I never knew that's what I always wanted to do was to be an association executive. Uh, a lot of it started, uh, actually I have Dan Snyder of all people to think for entering the association world uh, while I was in grad school um getting my graduate business degree you know i had the goal that i was going to be the first woman and first black person to be general manager of nfl team and at that time i was with i guess they're now the washington commanders um while i was in grad school and well i mean people have read the news on that the environment is as it's been written about in major Mm -hmm. publications and in looking at that um there are only 32 NFL teams. And, you know, I was like, why would I limit my career to 32 teams, of which six of them have relatively healthy environments? At that same time, um, Destination DC had a lunch or breakfast for people who um, were in my program. And I went, um, and I actually ended up in a CBB job right after that. Um, but while working in CBB, Convention and Visitors Bureau, I realized I was more in love with what my clients were doing than what I was doing. And then that's how I transitioned into trade associations and have been there ever since. Um, I would say my favorite is anything in supply chain for sure. But where businesses um, or organizations are members, I just love that space because it's about advancing an industry. It's about um, innovation within an industry and the impact it has not only to the employees, but the communities that those organizations serve, you know, it's just so vast and it's just so impactful that, you know, I just I love
1: what I do. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful uh, career path. And, it, and like you said, a lot of people kind of accidentally kind of stumble onto it rather than plan a career to be in it. Um, any advice for the young person out there that's listening or, or might be at a point of deciding what career path to go on? Uh, Can you kind of um, maybe evangelize to that person about the value of going into uh, association work because I think it is so important for young people to at least consider that as a path for them because I think it'll be rewarding and the impact is real and you can really accelerate your career by going into this direction.
0: Yes. Before I um, evangelize to that group, I want to evangelize to my fellow association leaders and that we need to continue to do very good jobs recruiting and visiting our colleges and high schools and trade schools. um, Talk to our military veterans, if if that's the case, um, what have you, um, and create more interest and demand um, for talent, for amazing talent uh, for what we do. You know, and the impact that you can have, and that there are a, there's a very strong and healthy um, income range um, that's in our space. So I would encourage us to be more open to create internships and externships and those type of opportunities to rec- actively recruit. So um,
1: do you? So history. you think that uh, the uh, association leadership might not be framing the opportunity right, or they're not looking? as broadly as they could be, they're kind of going to the same old places to get the same old results?
0: I don't, I have not seen like sustained continual effort. You know, there are some independent associations that are doing it on their own. I I don't, in terms of future planning, like I don't see a sustained effort to really um, educate on what it is that we do. Uh, Like I always have this really, governance nerd thing that I do um when I always speak up about nonprofit industry because 501c3s do an amazing job, you know, <laughs> recruiting. You know, people when they think nonprofit, they exclusively think 501c3s. A lot of us are c C6s, but they're also like C4s and C7s and C eights um, out there. Like credit unions are 501, um a lot of them are C1s, you know, um and even like that bit of education, you know, helps them understand like what their possibilities are in a nonprofit um, world, you know, and in that it's not only um, C3s. So C3s do amazing work. Um, and, you know, that they even within C6, we have the professional societies um, and the trade associations, you know, so there's so much wealth and nuance there. And similar to cooperatives, like you are aware of associations, and, like you just don't think about it. Like if you brush your teeth with toothpaste, like the ADA, you know, on the back of a label. So you're aware of associations, like you're aware that lawyers are, get their certification from American Bar Association. You know, you're aware that doctors are licensed and that's usually through the AMA. Like you're, you're aware of it. It's just that you haven't thought about it as a career, you know, and job opportunity. So um, I would love for us to do that. And for um, usually the message I use when I go to my alma mater, Georgetown Hoyas, um you know, is that it's a mission driven organization, um, where you can have an amazing impact. Um, and you also can have, um, be able to have a healthy enough, you know, income to, you know, have a good life. So it's like there's not any area of, um, passion and desire in your life where you have to sacrifice that you get to focus on a mission, you know, and create a good life for your members, their community, their industry, you know, and also your family.
1: Now, do you find that associations um as part of their mission is to help their members obviously become more successful? Is this an area where they can be helping educate their members on um how to leverage the association better like how to include um you know maybe members of their of their team at all levels rather than maybe just the executives but to just use the um, association as kind of that lever to immerse uh, their employees into the industry, into the mission, into the kind of the bigger picture, and give that uh, employee the opportunity to show leadership by volunteering and to get involved deeper. And And then by extension would become more active in that association.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. And, um, that is one of the things I'm focusing on you know, with our members and that, you know, we definitely need engagement from senior level executives because, you know, for us, the whole organization needs to join, which means it's usually um, a decision between like the CEO and the CFO in most cases. Uh, So it's like, you definitely need their buy-in. However, you also need stickiness. Um, The um, metaphor that I use is like holding a pin in your hand, you know, It's like if you're only connections with one employee, that's like trying to hold on to the pin with a finger. If you lose that connection, then it drops. So as many fingers you can wrap around, you know, that pin is, you know, the stickiness that you have with your members. And that is getting them engaged, not only on a senior le- leadership level, um, but also as far into the organization as you can um, reasonably consistently support, you know, so if that many um, staff members Of that organization um, are engaged in your association for professional development. I think volunteer leadership is the um, best ROI that we have, Um, and that so many of us learn governance, so many of us learn leadership, so many of us have the opportunity to practice and develop uh, other skill sets um, through those roles. Uh, And it's also contributing to the health of the industry. um, And doing that, you know, that is the best ROI that we have. Um, And also for what we're do the work we're doing within the association, having that volunteer bandwidth, you know, allows us to um, give a bigger return to not only our members, but to the industry as well.
1: Right. To me, it's that righteous circle of winning, winning and winning all the way around. Everybody benefits the the volunteer benefits by showing off leadership to people that they may not have been and might not have known and they get practice and they get skills. And the uh, the association benefits obviously by having more warm bodies out there helping and getting the word out and helping accomplish whatever it is mission that they're working on at the moment. And then the business uh, wins by having a you know more successful, robust association and more skilled employees. Like it, it just everybody wins at every turn.
0: Absolutely, that could not be more evangelical about that, and also it helps to um, destigmatize like board service and the de- stigma being that it's very hard to do. Only a few people can do that. It's, it's a very accessible um, and necessary um, leadership organization. And I think more people should be um, enthusiastic about looking for um, not only volunteer leadership positions, but also board service. Cause we do need um, a plethora, you know, different experiences on boards.
1: Right. And that's also from the association standpoint, it's important to, um, you know, cast that wider net and to not have, you know, the same people doing the same thing. And a lot of times it's because they're the only ones who raise their hand to help um, and you need more people to raise their hand.
0: Right. Um, I don't remember which organization I really want to say it was um, ASAE, but I could be wrong now that found that. Like, over 70% of volunteers, the number one reason why they did it is because someone asked them to. (laughs) Yeah, I'm one of those. I (laughs) don't see that. Um, But it's effective. So, like, you know, recruiting. It's, I think so many people who, it's not that they haven't considered it. um, I think they are intimidated that they won't be accepted. But when you're invited to apply or when you're invited to a position, like, it has a whole different disposition. Like, we are um, creating more volunteer opportunities in my organization and the response to inviting people to become a co-chair. It's like, you think I've given them a Grammy, you know, So, <laughs> but it's also amazing to be on the other side of that, you know, um, part and, you know, what great leadership will come from emanate from those people and their network, you know, because we're doing that. So.
1: Yeah. It's funny that it's the framing matters a lot, you know, where, where it's like, If it's just an email that goes, hey, we're looking for help, you know, people might ignore it. But if you go, Bill, we need your help, Bill will probably say, okay.
0: Right. It becomes very different, you know, and also um, what we're doing for co chairs because it's a new council that nearly every council has four co chairs, which seems like a lot. But when you think about what people are managing, If it's two co-chairs and they're both really busy at the same time, you have no co-chairs. Right. It's unlikely that four people are at the same level of busy at the same time. So that ensures that you should have at least two co-chairs, you know, who are operating there. And then within themselves, like they create like a tight sibling group. (laughs) I've noticed, you know, watching them um, bond. So, Um. Yeah, it's really great. And it has another benefit, which wasn't even my intention when we designed it as such, which is that it expands how many leaders that we have already creating these councils.
1: Right. And And for those people who get the opportunity to lead for the first time, that could be helping the acceleration of their career. Exactly. Now, can you share a little bit? I know this is an area of passion for you um explain the difference between sponsorship and mentorship um a lot of people use those words maybe interchangeably and they're really really different
0: uh yeah uh, thank you for asking actually i was writing um i have a small group of people um where i send out what used to be daily affirmations now i do it on monday wednesday and friday and today i really happen to be Writing about that um, in context of the recent passing of Irene Kara, um, who a lot of people may recognize the name from a um, the theme song to um, Flashdance, you know, what a feeling, and also from the soundtrack to the movie Fame. And, you know, when people um, pass away, um, you know, pretty much like every interview they ever did comes to light. And from hers, it was essentially how. The music industry, uh, which is heavily deregulated, um, you know, made it really difficult for her. And, um, you know, that she was essentially kind of blacklisted out for a long period of time. And she came up during a time where there wasn't SoundCloud, you know, (laughs) other ways to get your music published and to develop a relationship with the audience. You know, and I said, like, that is a perfect example of, you know, what would have happened or what could have been different if she were sponsored and not just mentored. And mentoring, it's not that it doesn't have value, it's just that we are in a place where we need a lot of impact. And mentoring, the only requirement of it is information given. It's very passive. So it's words only and no action. Sponsorship is action-driven. You know, if you get any advice through sponsorship, you know, that's an additional benefit. But sponsor fit sponsorship is using your leveraging. Your privilege, your access, your network um, to achieve a result for someone. It's not um, telling them about an organization. It is leveraging what we can to see if we can get them the first interview, or uh, if you know someone who's a port um, has to appoint a board member. You know, it's putting their name in there. It's getting them in to an opportunity, um, or at least. Um, Negotiating that so you can get as quick as close to an opportunity as possible through actions um, and not only giving that person individual advice, Uh, because I long for the day, you know, that um, starting with the United States, that we actually have a true meritocracy. But the reality is that's really structured um, like oligarchy, you know, where there's a central group that has... Most of the access to, you know, privilege and power and it's finding your way to be connected to that, that we have um, that we get access ourselves. So the more people that we can put into that oligarchy, the more we actually start, we'll start to see a meritocracy and the most impactful way and lasting way that happens is through sponsorship, which is leading through action. Um, and not only just giving people advice.
1: Right. And it's risking political capital for someone else.
0: Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So um, sponsors definitely choose their sponsors judicious- judiciously. However, um, when you see major things happen, like particularly when you see people who are able to achieve things that are young, like a big faux pas, something that I think is just a bad form. You know, it's when people have success stories and their success stories only involve them achieving everything by themselves. Like it's, it's, it gets a lot of physics to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. So all of us have achieved success through help, especially if we've been able to do it at a younger age, wherever that help came from. So I encourage us to name our help, um, and to identify that because it's also people who decided to, um, leverage their, you know, um, of political power um, or what have you to achieve our success. And that's the way things happen that, you know, um, preparation is met with opportunity and a sponsor, you know, who made that sure that opportunity was successful.
1: But also the sponsoree has kind of taken an action and demonstrated value to make that sponsor a lot more confident to sponsor them to whatever the position that they want. So it, it, it's not something that I think that people can just wait for and hope happens. They can be taking actions like volunteering. They can be getting involved and doing things that make other people aware of how talented and, and valuable they are. So they would be willing to risk that political capital on their behalf.
0: Absolutely. But I will say sponsorship is also a lot like volunteerism. Very few potential sponsors will have the idea on their own to become a sponsor. Um, near all my sponsors and all the sponsor relations I've seen have started with the sponsoree asking the sponsor. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's like selling Girl Scout cookies. You know, there'll be you'll find everyone who wants thin mints or you just have to find that one person who wants a samosa. So you have to, um, you know, be strategic um, and ask, but it may take a while before you find sponsor. And sponsors um, have the same thought about sponsors the way we have about mentors. Like, you don't have just one; you have several, you know, that you have. Right. And similar to what you're saying is that you also have to realize that it is a mutual beneficial relationship. So also look at ways where you also can support your sponsor um, as well.
1: Yeah, but I think that that is the, it, it's like the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. The who you know part is extremely important <laughs> in the process. And the more people you know, the you're increasing your odds of that, uh, building that right relationship with a sponsor that'll help get you to a next level faster.
0: Yes. Um, another thing I have to say about sponsorship is a mistake some people make are looking for sponsors that have obvious, um, I would say, visual cues to who you are, like someone who looks just like you or someone, you know, whose story is just like yours. Uh, a lot of my sponsor relationships, you know, we may have something in common, you know, like, for example, I'm from Ohio. I am a The Ohio State fan. And yes, I am very much in mourning today after the events of this <laughs> weekend. But, um, you know, definitely look for people who seem that they are different than you, because I, um, I've noticed in sponsoring, you know, there is an interest in, you know, they're looking at their legacy and you know to have helped a wealth of people and not necessarily people who are the carbon copies of themselves. And another way that you'll stand out is that if a lot of people around them, you know, are carbon copies of themselves, I mean you will stand out <laughs> in that way. But I will encourage in looking for sponsors, don't look for a carbon copy of yourself. Look for people who seem like they may be different um, than you are because um, also that's different networks different circles you no know, different focuses um, in there so when you look for sponsors like diversify that list as much as you can
1: right and don't be afraid to make the first move and take action
0: <laughs> absolutely uh, and when you do request for a meeting like 15 minutes <laughs> see what they want like I think about myself now. Like, if you want to meet me for half an hour, like, I already cringe at the thought. <laughs> Let's have a 15-minute chat.
1: Right. So and you better be organized. You better have some <laughs> agenda kind of worked out already.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: Well, if somebody wants to connect with you and learn more about NCBA, what's the website? What's the best way to have a conversation with you or somebody on your team?
0: Oh, I would love that. So, our website is NCBA. Clusa um, C L U S A dot co op C O O P, um, and then I am Blaylock T B as in boy L A L O C K at NCBA dot co op.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work, and we appreciate you.
0: Well, thank you for the opportunity to um, be able to talk associations and co ops at the same time.
1: It's all so right. <laughs> well, yeah. this is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.